Welcome to the first edition of Monday Sermon. I'm Pastor Corey. Today is Monday, September 20th, 2021. This is a podcast of Winfield Baptist Church, Winfield, Pennsylvania. More information about our church can be found at winfieldbaptist.com. Our fighter verse for this week is 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. To help us think about and memorize our fighter verse each week, I'll give a brief overview of the text and the context of the passage. So for this week, let's look at the broader context of our passage, beginning in 2 Corinthians 12, 1-10. It says, I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weakness. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool. For I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it, so that no one may think of me more than he sees in me or hears in me. So, to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But... He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. This passage deals with grace, deals with suffering and weakness. And here in this passage, yes, grace is the unmerited favor of God. But here, Jesus is describing the work of that grace, not just some abstract idea placed upon us, but rather grace as favor that moves and is made manifest in power toward a believer in weakness. In our weakness, in our fallen flesh, Christ's grace is sufficient. It shows forth in us living out the gospel by his power at work within us. Paul is boasting in his weakness. That is, he keeps going. He keeps ministering. He keeps working. He keeps preaching, loving, sharing, traveling, in spite of his weakness, in spite of this thorn in the flesh, in spite of his being beaten in every city he goes to. And what allows him to do so, what helps him, is grace. It is giving him power to press on. He boasts in weakness because it shows forth the power of God. 
How can one press on in the midst of suffering? Paul's answer is grace. Grace that shows up in persevering power. Now, we need to address the purpose of which this is coming manifest in Paul's life in particular. Paul has been given something, something by God that could cause Paul to become conceited or proud. That's what we read in verse 7. And it could cause him to perhaps think more highly of himself. And there's a clear warning here to be careful of desiring to see perhaps what this man he's describing, seeing heaven, or see something spiritually spectacular. The danger for Paul would be that he would think of himself as being special, more important than others, or that others would do the same, resulting in them making much of Paul and not of Christ. So, as we memorize and put 2 Corinthians 12, 9, and 10 into our arsenal of faith, let us do so remembering in these moments of weakness, that is when our flesh is failing us, when our resolve is weakened, when we're spent, we need to remember and know and ask for grace, grace that is sufficient to come to us for help in persevering. When we do this, we will experience the spectacular, the supernatural, by God giving us power to press on, grace to face the day as we live and stand on his promises. May I encourage you to share this with your family and anyone else you may be encouraging in the faith. Next, let's be reminded of the sermon text from Sunday. On Sunday, we looked at Mark chapter 12, verses 18 to 27, which was Jesus' encounter with the Sadducees and a discussion about the resurrection. Jesus' words in verse 27 capture the essence of what I wanted to say in the sermon. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. The Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. And so Jesus, who clearly teaches about it, and he himself being raised from the dead, demonstrates its importance. It's telling us something quite important. All of this talk brings to our attention the reality of death and its subsequent harshness. When I graduated from college, I was excited and thrilled to have made it. But the events of that day were painfully abrupt. Four years of relationships, and then one day it's all over, packed up and moved on. It was harsh, and yet I can still see those people, call them on the phone, catch up with them on social media. But death, death is the ultimate harsh reality of end. When death arrives, it's over. No second chances, no time extended, just over. Albert Martin, in his book, Grieving, Hope, and Solace, When a Loved One Dies in Christ, quotes Cornelius Venema, who says this, Contrary to many modern myths about death, that is, that death is a natural part of life, the cessation of existence, that there is a natural dignity in dying. He goes on to say that the Bible paints its portrait of death with the most stark and sobering colors. Nowhere in the Bible is death treated as something natural, as something that can be easily domesticated or treated as quote-unquote part of life. No. No encouragement is given us in the Bible to minimize the terror and the fearfulness of death. 
our last enemy, according to 1 Corinthians 15.26. Death is unnatural, and yet we can have hope even in the face of death because of Jesus, and in particular because of his resurrection, and knowing that his resurrection has purchased for us our own resurrection for those who believe in Christ. So my encouragement to you is this. It is okay to look at death in fear, to not look forward to it, but do not allow a healthy fear of death to stop you from living. The purpose for Jesus' teaching and all of Scripture's teaching about resurrection is given to us so that we might live well now in light of the great hope of the resurrection. If this is a topic that you'd like to read more about, I've mentioned giving, uh, grieving, hope, and solace when a loved one dies in Christ. You can find that book by Robert, Albert Malton. It can be found at cruciformpress.com or from Amazon. We will end our talk today with a takeaway. There's a lot to say about what is happening in our current culture. And we can argue about it, talk about it, worry about it, be angry about it, and become hopeless about it. But as we study together this passage in Mark chapter 12, I'm reminded of the saying, only one life to live, twill soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. This saying was an inspiration for a poem by C.T. Studd, a English missionary to both China, India, and Africa. He says this, Two little lines I heard one day, traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart, and from my mind would not depart. Only when life will soon be past, only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one, soon its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, the still small voice, gently pleads for a better choice, bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a few, few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes, and fears, each with its clays I must fulfill, living for self or in his will. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. When this bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then Lord help me with joy to say, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep in sorrow or joy, thy word to keep. Faithful and true, whate'er the strife, pleasing thee in my daily life. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Oh, let my love with fervor burn, and from the world let me turn. Living for thee and thee alone, bringing thee pleasure on thy throne. Only what's done for Christ will last. 
Only one life, yes, only one. Let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I hear the call, I know I'll say, twas worth it all. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Friends, let us not waste our time in idle talk, endless controversies, or worries about what may or may not be, but be motivated by the love of Calvary's tree that purchased our hope for life eternally. Thanks for listening. I hope you will tune in next Monday as we continue to be encouraged by the Word. Until next time, I'm Pastor Corey, and this has been an episode of Monday's Sermon, a podcast of Winfield Baptist Church.